This podcast includes information provided by the issuer and does not express the views of the interviewer. This podcast may also include forward-looking statements by the issuer that involve certain risks and uncertainties to its business. Because forward-looking statements are subject to risks and uncertainties, the issuer's actual results could differ from those indicated in this podcast. Welcome to the Planet Microcap Podcast. I'm your host, Robert Kraft, and thank you all so much for the support and for tuning in. You can follow Planet Microcap on Twitter at Bobby K. Kraft, that's B-O-B-B-Y-K-K-R-A-F-T, and you're listening to episode 80. If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to tweet at me or shoot me an email at rkraft at snnwire.com. And when you do get a chance, if you like what you hear, please rate and review Planet Microcap on iTunes. It really helps provide feedback for me and spread the microcap message. For this episode of the Planet Microcap podcast, I spoke with Maj Sway Don and Chris Quote the Raven Irons from geoinvesting.com. At geoinvesting.com, Maj, Chris, and the whole team there are studying the microcap market on a daily basis for their newsletter, looking at every news release, reading filings, etc. So I thought, who better to recap 2018 and look ahead at 2019 than Maj and Chris? The goal for this episode is to reflect on some themes in the capital markets that we recognized in 2018, as well as their thoughts on 2019. Thank you again for tuning in to episode 80, and please enjoy my interview with Maj Swaydan and Chris Irons from geoinvesting.com. But first, a word from our sponsor. To my loyal listeners, subscribers, and fans, Robert Kraft here, your host on the Planet Microcap podcast. The 2019 Investor Conference season is upon us. Where are you going this year? I'd like to take a second to invite you to join me and maybe a few of the guests you've heard on this podcast to our annual Microcap Investor Conference, the Planet Microcap Showcase, April 30th to May 2nd, 2019 at Bally's Hotel and Casino in Las Vegas. The Planet Microcap Showcase will be two and a half days of company presentations, networking opportunities, an educational workshop, and you will get to meet privately in one-on-one meetings with management of well-known emerging growth private and publicly traded microcap companies. We are back with new surprises and programming that you will not want to miss. So join us for the Planet Microcap Showcase, April 30 to May 2nd, 2019 at Bally's Hotel and Casino in Las Vegas. For more information and register to attend, please visit www.planetmicrocapshowcase.com. See you in Vegas. For this episode of the Planet Microcap Podcast, I would like to welcome Maj Sway Dunn and Chris Irons from geoinvesting.com. Maj and Chris, welcome back to the Planet Microcap Podcast. Thank you, Bobby. Yeah, it's awesome being here. It's awesome to have you guys back, and uh, thank you, as always, for joining me, and uh, again, happy holidays. So, um, yeah, congratulations on your wedding. Oh, thank you, man. I really appreciate that. So, oh, your Facebook picture, nice pictures. <laughs> thanks. Yeah, so, uh, I, and, and I, I promise I will not uh, flood the market with too many uh, uh, pictures. I know there is a demand now, but I don't want to oversupply. So with that, <laughs> so, so with that, you know, I, I want to also, 
I want to start with each of your backgrounds, you know, for those who don't know you or may not have heard some of our previous conversations. So, uh, uh, Maj, let's start with you. Yes, Maj, this is Wade-Ann. I'm a co-founder of Geo Investing. Uh, it's a research site for mainly microcap companies, microcap stocks. Um, we offer research to our uh, retail investors through a platform and as well as institutional investors through a different platform. Uh, I've been a full-time investor for almost 30 years now, really in you know investing in the smaller capitalized companies. Um, really got my start from really reading Peter Lynch's book, One Up on Wall Street, and from there really fell in love with the craft and always continuing, uh, trying to continue to become a better investor. And I think um, talking to people like you and people we meet through you know, our website has helped us actually, you know, help the team actually become better investors in general because we meet some really nice, really smart people along the way who've had a really a lot of good war stories and experience to share with us. So I really enjoy that part of it. Cool. And Chris? Yeah, I'm uh, Chris Irons. I started working for Mosh about four and a half years ago. Um, I handle uh, a lot of the, basically anything that's written that comes out of geoinvesting crosses over my desk. Um, so I do that. I do a little bit of uh, equity analysis for them. Um, just kind of a jack of all trades. Um, I'm coming up on five years working for Geo now, which is fantastic. My background is uh, I worked for a small startup public company at one point for a couple of years. I uh, implemented a you know investor relations program for them, which is where I kind of cut my teeth in terms of learning about public filings and learning about public reporting. Um, you know, prior to that, I had worked for Apple and then did many years of schooling <laughs> prior to that. So uh, and I've been here for the last five years, learning a ton from Maj about microcap investing, which is something that I wasn't uh, that I wasn't really specializing in prior, that I wasn't something that I was, you know, looking at every day. And so um, that's it. I handle anything that comes out of geovesting that is written. And Chris, I also have to congratulate you on your podcast that, that, that you launched this year. It's it's really, I, I very much enjoy it and uh, it's gotten a lot of success. So, uh, you know, for those who may not have heard your podcast, what's the name of it and maybe give a little bit about it? Uh, yeah, it's just called the Quote the Raven Podcast and well, it's basically just me downloading my thoughts on the uh, market to a uh, recorded file a couple times a week and just talking with yeah, you know, investors that I find interesting, and uh, a lot of it lately has been about Tesla and has been anti-Federal Reserve, which is my personally, uh, firmly held personal beliefs. <laughs> and then you're your, your, your end of the your, your end of the world thoughts, is, right? Is not necessarily the beliefs of, of geo investing <laughs> or Maj, because Maj and I have different uh, different opinions on that, definitely. Um, but yeah, thanks so much, man. It's been great. Yeah. Well, you know, I blame the end of the world thoughts on your uh, geographical location, okay? If you're in California, it might be a different story. I've been to California, and I'm not, uh, I, I like California at all. Uh, it's just not somewhere that I would want to live. <laughs> Taxes are a little too high. It's a little too populated for me, but Maj probably know better than I do, because he lives, he lives in Florida full-time right on the beach. Mm -hmm. He's probably got more of the California vibe. <laughs> yeah, that's probably why you're such an optimist, Maj. <laughs> true, true. So... Yeah. <laughs> so so as of recording this you know we're at the end of 2018 you know uh every, every year i always like to do like an end of the year wrap up kind of looking ahead to, to the next year so i'd really love to get each of your takes on 2018 both at large in in finance and investing and then also in microcaps specifically so uh maj let's go to you first and then chris your take well i think as usual 
what I how I hoped or thought it, and eighteen would end up. It did not occur that to be that way. <laughs> so, you know, and I think that um, look, I'm not really a market timer, and you know, really, really want to try. You know, just spend too much time predicting where markets are going to go. And but I, you know, I, I had hoped that uh, there will be a little more love for the smaller capitalized companies um, coming into eighteen and being sustained. I think we've had a problem over the last several years of. Minor caps and small caps sustaining rallies and, and sustaining broad rallies. Um, and mainly, mainly the bull market over the last several years has been mainly big caps and larger cap companies. And you know, I'd hoped 18 would signify maybe a better atmosphere for the kind of stocks I invest in. And it really didn't, you know, occurred in pockets, but it really didn't sustain momentum. Now, you know, the end of the year is kind of they're actually performing worse than the larger um, counterparts. So. That was pretty interesting. So, but, I, I, but what's interesting, what has happened though, as far as I can, um, I'm concerned, is that um, there's so many companies still growing. There's still a lot of great companies uh, putting out great range reports, just getting lost. They're just getting cheaper and cheaper every year. And at some point, you know, you know, still investing in the space, and I'm hoping that investors will start to recognize that value going into 2019. And I think what we're seeing here is finally a healthy situation where the market's really not going to be forgiven for. Companies with bad balance sheets, um, you know, pump and dumps, you know, any type of management teams that aren't really keeping their fiduciary responsibilities to investors. You're starting to see a lot of these stocks fall apart, even if they have interesting numbers and good value. If they're really not doing what's good for shareholders, yeah, I think that um, they're starting to really um, not perform well. And hopefully, when the market you know comes back again, or when when that pendulum does swing, uh, that a lot of these value companies, if you want to, um, and you know, wire cap companies, hopefully will lead some of the rally going forward. You're starting to see that a little bit too. I mean, I'm starting to see a lot of actually OTC companies on the OTC really holding their hold themselves well, really not being affected by a lot of the turbulence. And that's kind of what you want when you invest in this sector. You want that non-correlation. Mm-hmm. And what I've noticed is these smaller capitalized companies on the OTC versus even the Nasdaq are performing, or, or less exchanges are performing much, much differently and behaving much, you know, um, much more favorably. Mm-hmm. So, Maj, I wanted to just real quick, Chris, before I thought, before I ask you, you know, your take. Maj, you said that you know you you've been seeing that you know microcaps have been forming, performing worse than even some of the their large uh, some of the large caps out there and and bigger names. Um, in the market. So, you know, what, what's some of the reasoning? Is it typical reasoning where there's a fear in the market, people tend to sell their microcaps first or more risky investments? I mean, what's, what's your, your take on the reasoning there? There's a lot of things, you know, it's, you can always speculate, but there's so much going on right now. Um, not just from what's going on with the market in terms of the turbulence there, but you have a lot of things, even regulatory-wise. I mean, I, I think the SEC was throwing around some type of um, discussion, roundtable discussion regarding um, regulation in the OTC companies. Uh, you have um, that could make it harder to buy them. Um, you have situ- you have situations where some brokerage firms, like I think Merrill, uh, is uh, limiting the ability to buy and sell these companies. So a lot of you know maybe clients are selling the stocks in those at those firms. Um, so you have just a really bad environment, and you still have a lot of what happened since 2008, where you have less investors just playing in the space, and so you have less um, people searching for these companies. Mm-hmm. And then you have the proliferation of an index fund and ETFs still being you know, dominating investor capital. Um, 
I think that just made the hunting situation worse. And I, I was really surprised at how um, um, the, the, the violent, the violent um, pullbacks we had a lot of Meyer cat companies. I thought someone would hold it better. But kind of what you saw, too, though, Bobby, over the last several years, you saw a lot of low-quality Meyer caps go up a lot and just pump real hard. And a, a lot of them are just getting destroyed now. So that's kind of magnifying the effect of the pullback, I think, in the space. In, in any sectors in particular, or just uh, it's kind of onesies and twosies across the board? It's pretty broad, man. I mean, there's, there's companies that you know are recession resistant that we follow, and um, and are and proof that are getting hit. Um, maybe not as hard, but yeah, I think it's just eventually you become somewhat correlated with the market uh, when it gets hit this hard. Mm-hmm. And then, and then, Chris, what? I think, oh, it's, I think it comes with good, with bad balance sheets, with high higher debt. You know, regardless of industry, mm-hmm. are you know are going to get a little, are getting clipped here pretty pretty badly. Right. And Chris, what have you been seeing in uh, 2018? I mean, what were some of the trends that you you've been tracking, and uh, are are you seeing similar things as what Maj has been seeing? Well, I think Maj definitely has his finger on the pulse of the microcap universe a lot more than I do. Um, you know, certainly from a much broader perspective, I'm not surprised that the market has sold off the way that it has over the last three months. Um, you know, I could go as far as to go back 10 years and say that we never really have had a proper recovery anywhere in, in any space, mm. uh, which would be the argument that I would kind of make. Um, you know, Maj mentioned companies with bad balance sheets. I think there are, you know, it's difficult to kind of throw a dart at any of the major indices and find a company that isn't levered right now. Um, in addition to that, you know, I think there's copious amounts of debt outstanding pretty much everywhere, not just at corporations, but consumer debt, you know, uh, student loan debt, personal debt, uh, municipal debt, you know, it's, it's, it's perverse right now. Um, as it relates to the microcap space, uh, so, so just to stay on macro for one second, you know, I'm not really surprised that the markets pulled back. And, you know, Maj and I were talking a couple of days ago that I think what's going to happen if you had to ask me what my outlook was for 2019, I would say we're going to enter kind of a stock pickers market here. I'm not especially bullish really ever, but right now I'm not especially bullish on 2019. Um, I don't think it's going to be, you know, back to an eclipsing all-time highs next year. Uh, I think the market will, on the other hand, I I don't think we'll probably drop uh, 50% next year. I think we'll probably, uh, you know, I do think the market will probably stay a little bit stagnant, give or take probably a delta of maybe, I don't know, 10%, I'll say. Um, but Maj and I were talking the other day, you know, kind of about how we believe this to be a stock pickers market, which means over the last 10 years, you've seen active managers kind of underperform passive managers. Uh, this is kind of kind of be the time where stock picking matters again, where value matters again on the long side, where, you know, companies that are prospective short candidates uh, as well, that maybe they've been able to kept, keep the narrative going over the last year, are finally going to hit that impasse where they kind of have to put up or shut up, where they're going to have to pay the piper. Um, and as it relates to the microcap space, you know, again, Maj probably has a, a better, broader kind of pulse on the microcap space. But what I'll say is one of the things that I've learned from Maj over the last four or five years uh, about why the microcap space is so great is because it does a lot of times operate with this non-correlation to the broader market. So 
there's not, you know, it's not a beta trade being invested in microcaps. Yes, some will pull back when the market pulls back. Some will rise when the market rises. But for the most part, a lot of microcap companies are seem to me at least to be relatively uh, uncorrelated to the broader market, and that's where. Maj's strategies, which basically what I've learned from him over the last five years is how to get a feel for management, how to go very, very deep on companies, um, you know, how, how to kind of figure out these undiscovered little information arbitrage mm-hmm. opportunities that you get from these stocks that don't have a lot of analyst coverage that aren't, you know, on CNBC every day. I think that kind of stuff's going to come in very handy in the year to come. Mm-hmm. Um, as there has always been some bargains in the microcap space, I think we'll probably see a little bit more now that the broader market has pulled back. Um, but I think that skill set's going to come in useful. And I haven't really talked to Maj about this, but I wouldn't be surprised to see him applying that thought process even to some larger companies that may have actually gotten hit as a result of the, of the market pullback today. For instance, we took a very, very, very small and very, very speculative shot at Goldman Sachs, which is not a name that we would normally take a look at. But, you know, its tangible book value was below where it was during the worst of the 2008 crisis. And so when I ran the idea by Maj, um, you know, and we discussed it, you know, we took a very small swing at it. And I think Maj can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think going forward, if the market kind of stays in the stock picker's uh, kind of sentiment, that might be something that we may look at going forward. But, Maj, you can correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, it's true. When I started investing in stocks, you know, I wasn't only in the micro cap sector. I would go, you know, medium to even large cap. So, you know, the, one of the issues that we had here over the last several years, we just couldn't find value in those larger cap companies. You know, they were, right. You know, they, were, they were going up, but it wasn't, we just didn't believe they had a lot of them should be going up, and now they're correcting somewhat. So well, yeah, we'll go. Where, what we do, we you know, works on every, you know, at every level in the, in the, in the market. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just and if we can find really cheap companies that have been punished too severely, that are larger for outcomes, we'll buy them. So and it just, it just, I'm just going to find them. You know, mm-hmm. and maybe now, and now that we as, we as the stock picking process picks up for us, I think we'll be able to find more um, value in that in that area, maybe. Mm-hmm. So, um, so, so, that, you know, but you made a great point about the stock picking thing, I and mean, I think. That's what hasn't been the case over the last several years. It hasn't really been a stock picking market, mm-hmm. and you haven't really been re- people haven't been rewarded for being great stock pickers across a, a broad portfolio. So and I'm really excited about that opportunity right now, and um, at some point that's really going to really pay off big for us, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just really excited about that going forward. I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah. I, I I actually want to follow up on that, you know, because for some people especially that listen to this podcast, I'd say most of them probably don't buy ETFs. You know, they usually tend to focus on individual names. So, you know, there might be one person who was like, you know, that uh, I, I only do, I only kind of am a stock picker versus someone that, you know, maybe newer and, and has maybe dabbled in some ETFs. I mean, what what are some of the, the characteristics you would say of a market that's more, I guess you'd say passive versus more of an actor, active uh, stock picking type situation. Well, look, I think when the market's going up, everyone loves these uh, these passive funds, you know. When so, and they are passive investing, you know, ETFs. So it becomes unnecessary to be a stock picker necessarily because everything's going up. Mm-hmm. It's when you, it's and eventually, you know, the market becomes the market. I mean, you get you, you earn the returns of the market, and if we're going to go into a situation where market returns aren't sufficient 
um, for investors to take risk, we're going to have no option but to stock pick and to start looking at money managers who can hopefully, you know, become a good stock picker, who are good stock pickers and beat the market. And that's what could happen. So a lot of it's on the performance of the market. I mean, you didn't have to do anything. You could just be, you know, you could just, like, Chris, are throwing darts and, you know, any index or any ETF don't, really done well across a broad spectrum of them. Right, well, I think eventually become spoiled along that line. Well, here's here's a thought that just came to mind, and and this could be a very dumb question. So uh, I forgive me if it's a dumb question, but you know, well, actually, uh, yeah, and, and so so my question really is, you know, if you know, you made the point earlier that you know microcaps are largely uncorrelated to to the market. You know, but if it's if everything's going up or the market's, you know, doing well, you know, I'd have to ask, well, okay, if it's uncorrelated, but it's only correlated when it goes up, how is it not correlated then when it goes down? You know, that that what how does that make sense? Well, let me let me let me uh, I guess in theory, they're uncorrelated. Right. Mm -hmm. And that can be, you know, also as as it can be an advantage when the market's going down, but it also can be disadvantage when market's going up because they may not follow that suit also. You, know, you had a lot of things going on within layer caps. Now, not only were they are they uncorrelated with the market, but when you have a situation where there's less demand for them and less people searching for them, and because of the dynamics we talked about earlier, you know, sometimes it just, it just they don't they don't move at all, <laughs> regardless. And I think they become more correlated in general when the market is going down. Though you have a lot of at some point correlation matters when it gets really more more when there's fear in the market. But you see that, but you're and you're seeing that right now, amongst a lot of the lower quality um, companies in, in that area, in that space. Mm -hmm. But you know, I think that um, in general, you know, you can't like make a broad statement all the time about that. But I think that um, correlation matters at some point more to the downside. At least that's been the case with these micro caps. In the lower quality uh, sector of that of that area. So you also brought up actually a little earlier about um, you know regulation and how there's going to be this you know and uh, I think you said something about an SEC roundtable and um, for for OTC companies. I mean, you know, everyone expects usually with the Republican uh, uh, presidency and, and and government, you know, rolling back regulations, especially when the market's doing well, it kind of spurs more. Uh, a more positive environment, uh, some would say, you know, um, so can you, can you comment a little bit more about that and, and, and that point that you were making a little bit earlier? Well, I mean, when I was, you know, I think actually Ray will have some opinion on that more than I will, <laughs> but <laughs> like I just think it's become a regulation has made it harder for a lot of people to participate in this, in the, in the market, mm -hmm. in the market market. Um, Anywhere from the retail investor all the way up to the institutional investor. Mm -hmm. So it just, it just. But you know, in, in, in some respect, though, it's good for uh, stock pickers who still are involved in that area because you know there's more value for us. Mm -hmm. And if you believe like we do that, eventually that value will win out. You know, at some point, you will be rewarded. Okay. But you know, on the on the topic of regulation, there's you know all you hear right now in the media is recession, recession, recession. Things are getting bad. Things are getting bad. We're going to get bad. And, you know, when you have Kramer on TV talking about, you know, he's interviewing these large cap companies and, you know, they're telling them bad things. Watch out, watch out. But, you know, of course, they're larger companies. They, you know, they have a hard time growing in general. 
and we know we're looking at these smaller cap companies or that we're talking to, and they're not really getting affected a lot. They're not sending the same message to us. That's interesting. But one thing on the regulate regulatory um, topic is that uh, you know they re- the, the banking regulation has been re- uh, I think early this year we're relaxed or we're, we're re- repealed for some of the, the smaller banks. The larger banks still have to abide by some of the um, the rules that were put in place after the Great Recession. So that's an interesting current that no one's really talking about. That I think that's going to help. That could help the economy as it loses lending standards and allows these smaller companies to have better access to capital, mm-hmm. which should, could benefit a lot of the smaller companies that we follow. Mm-hmm. All right, Raven, what's what's your take? Yeah, so I, look, I uh, guess I'll start with regulation um, and then just try to go from there. You know, look, I think too much regulation is a problem, and it's annoying. Uh, I think we need some regulation. I think obviously we need, uh, you know, a basis to keep everybody on a level playing field. Um, so, you know, I think holding all public companies to the same standards is not a bad idea. I think that's a good idea. You know, I think public filing standards are a good idea, not a bad idea. I think, you know, uh, uh, probably some of the base layers of regulations for banks are a good idea for investment banks are a good idea. Um, I'm not completely 100% anti-regulation. Um, I, I understand it, even though I am kind of a libertarian, so my view is further towards, you know, less regulation and allowing those who thrive to thrive and allowing those who fail to fail, which is not what we do in this country. We privatize gains and we socialize losses. Um, with that being said, I think there is a litany of regulation that is just probably suffocating the market and to some degree. Um, I think specific to microcaps, like Maj is saying, I think there are ridiculous regulations, like institutions not allowing uh, you know, clients to buy microcap companies under a certain dollar amount. You know, you can't buy stocks under five dollars. Like, what is that? Like, it has anything to do with the company's valuation? Like, it has anything to do with how well they're run or how reputable they are or how credible management is? It's, it's the stupidest thing in history. Um, you know, of course, doesn't surprise me. Government has a lot of stupid regulations, like you know, the pattern day trade rule. You know, it doesn't make any sense to me. You know, I've to this day, when I was first starting out as an investor, it was something like, I never even understood it. Like, well, what's, what's the big deal? Like, it's my money. If I want to make a trade, I can make a trade. You know, it's like, oh, we got to save you from yourself. Even just recently, last year, I made, uh, I made, or two years ago, rather, when I was, uh, I was renovating this house that I had just bought, and I had transferred a bunch of money from my savings to my checking a couple times. And after I did that, like, six times in a month, they sent me a letter. They're like, you're not allowed to do this. The federal government says you can't move money from your savings account more than six times in a month. I'm like, this is the stupidest thing I have ever heard of in my life. Now take those types of stupid regulations, which to anybody listening to this is thinking to themselves, eh, it doesn't really make any sense from a common sense standpoint. It's ridiculous. It's insane. And just blow those up on a, you know, micro, uh, on a macrocosm level and slap them on the capital markets. And we have a lot of regulations that are probably very similar in the in the in the respect that you know from a common sense standpoint they don't make a lot of sense so why, um, and you know these what 
Maj is talking about here, limiting people from buying microcap stocks, I think is ridiculous. You know, look, to some degree there needs to be regulation, but you can't, the government can't micromanage trying to save everybody from themselves all the time. I think it's, you know, it does a hell of a lot more harm than good. So, they regulate, there's so many areas that should be regulated that aren't regulated, and there's areas that aren't regulated that, you know, that, that, right. that's just ridiculous. I mean, it's like, I remember when um, last year we were trying to buy a stock and, you know, we couldn't buy it online because it had this little fraud alert on it or whatever. I'm like, okay, well, this is definitely not a fraud I'm buying here. I know it. So I called the, I called the brokerage firm up. I said, what's going on here? Well, it's on a fraud list because of lack of volume. Well, that's, but, but I can buy Riot all day long. <laughs> you know, yeah, right. Exactly. It, 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 it's amazing. Is that basically these OTC stocks, these you know, these that nobody wants, that no one's buying, because they're not fraud, they're not pump and dump stocks, they're not getting promotional, you know, material sent out all day long. You know, those are the those are the stocks that are being punished through regulation. But you can all day long buy pump and dumps. You can all day long do reverse splits that maintain listed. You can all day long oh, get yeah. extensions on your filings. You know, it's yeah, crazy. You can buy. You can buy you can buy mega cap pyramid schemes on the New York Stock Exchange. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like full on pyramid yeah. schemes. You can invest reporting, in reporting, reporting you companies. Can companies. Yeah. You can invest in companies that have tons of debt that have never generated a cent of free cash in their life that have tapped the capital markets for decades to stay afloat. You can invest in biotech companies that you know have no revenue stream, have never generated cash, have and they're, and they're reggae decades. plus. <laughs> That, yeah, that over the course of decades have, have you know, depreciated in value 99%. But because, like Maj is saying, this one company has, oh, a lack of volume, somehow in some moron's office somewhere, that lack of volume equates to, oh, the company's a fraud. And this is the kind of stupid shit that just happens across the market. You know, I, I just think Maj makes a great point. So what can be done? Like, how? By the way, sorry, real quick, before I stop the flow, because it's, it's getting, it's really good. You know, real quick, are you guys uh, shareholders in Riot? <laughs> just had to, I just have to clarify. Oh, come on, no, <laughs> no, just, no, and I'm not. No, no. I, I guess I, would, I guess I wish I was when I went to 100. But. You know, Dennis Gartman went out and bought Riot. Okay, Dennis Gartman is supposed to be some seasoned market professional. They roll this guy out on the CNBC every week. You know, they refer to him as the commodities king. He's got a subscription newsletter that, you know, he charges money for, that he has a lot of subscribers for. Okay, Riot, to everybody that knows who Barry Honig is, knows that at the very least is a company maybe they should be a little bit skeptical of. You know, when you change your name from a biotech company to a blockchain company the same week that everybody else is doing it, because blockchain happens to be the number one thing in the news, that should be your first clue. Like, ah, maybe if they're able to take a business and pivot it like this, it wasn't really a business to begin with. Anybody who did seven seconds of research on that company from the get-go should have been skeptical on it. But instead, we get you know a market commentator who's supposed to be one of the leading voices in the mainstream media. Dennis Garvin comes out and he buys the thing. And then you know when he gets blindsided on it after CNBC does a re- think of how bad your company has to be for CNBC to do an expose on it. I mean they do what one expose every five years or something. <laughs> then after that he's got to write this letter like oh I could I could have never seen this coming. It's like are you kidding me? And then Maj can't go out and buy a company that you know has has no volume a microcap company where he's been to the premises he sees that it's a uh, you know he sees it's a legit company they're consistently generating cash just because they don't trade, you know, 10,000 shares a day or 100,000 shares a day or whatever the threshold is. That's insane. 
So what can you, you, I remember a time where all you really saw, you know, was, even though stocks must mean nothing to valuation, but you know, it was really a time when, when I was investing in the '90s and you know, some of the 2000 area and early 2000s where, you know, a forward stock split was the norm. Stocks goes up, stocks split for one, whatever, and that, that was a lot of what was happening. Now it's all about the reverse split to maintain, to maintain listing. And then the, right. the exchange, exchanges will continue to allow a company to do multiple reverse splits over so many, you know, continually to stay listed. You know, yep. there's no real – or issue stock or make a bogus acquisition to, you know, to, um, uh, to, to maintain your equity um, uh, levels so you can maintain listing. All, all these, they, they, basically, these exchanges just want to make money. Mm-hmm. They just, and the only companies that really are going are, are going public anymore. Now you have even the Reg A, the, the Reg A kind of plus uh, platform. Just all these ridiculously uninvestable companies, and that the exchanges don't care. They just want their fees. Right. And if they were really to put put uh, an act good regulation, a lot of these companies couldn't trade and they wouldn't collect their fees. You know, not enough, not enough quality firms want to go public anymore. Yeah, Maj is one hundred percent right. And when you look at like, we look at Helios and Madison's a great example. Is the first one that pops to my mind. Wait, real quick, are you are you shareholder? Hold on, real quick, Chris. Before you talk about that one, are you shareholder or were a shareholder ever? Just one, just need to clarify. And what? Uh, Yeah. Fuck no! (laughs) Oh my god, no! Oz would fire me if I said yes to that. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I have to ask. I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, no, you, 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 were, you were making a point. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I was just saying that and like dry ships and that GBSN that we followed for a while. They're all perfect examples of these companies. Oh, GBSN was ridiculous, right? Split. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's just I, I I just didn't think I would ever see that. And, it's, and it was a, and what's happening? I just I force the only the last stocks I buy right now in the Meyer Cap area are just stocks I knew you know years and years ago from just all these decades of investing in these companies, like old school companies that I come around to again. Mm-hmm. There really aren't many of these, I, uh, even new reverse mergers or IPOs I'm investing in, and I'm afraid that at some point you're going to have this graveyard of just. Uh, the, the NASDAQ is going to be a great better bad companies, you know, 10 years from now that are uninvestable. Mm-hmm. And that over time that, you know, the, the great companies are either going to maybe, you know, delist to the OTC, which I have no problem in them doing, or maybe get acquired. Mm-hmm. And um, that's that's okay, too. Well, I'm not trying to find something dramatic all here. It is the end of the world. I mean, there's certainly always going to be value there, but I just don't like what how, this, how, the, how the markets have transformed over the years. No, it's an important topic. It's an important topic. I talk about it. I, I've talked about this same subject with with uh, with Chris Lahiji on here a couple times now, and and this idea of there not being enough, you know, new quality names that are going public. I mean, in your guys' opinion, I mean, is it regulation or what? What is it that's that's stopping them? Some of these companies from going public as microcaps. Well, I think you know part of it is just reputation wise. I mean, look, if there's enough of these fraudulent companies out there going, why do you want to be part of that? And, you know, it's also, right. look, the, the, everything's changed, too. You have Seeking Alpha now. You have you have a lot more checks and balances in the market where you have to be careful. And yeah, as, a, as a public, as a company that wants to go public, you've got to realize, hey, well, if I go public with these three or four risk factors, which really isn't fraudulent, but it's risk factors, it's right. all going to come out there and write about it, too. So it's not just regulation. It's more, there's a lot of stuff going on mm-hmm. besides that, too, I think. But, um, Look, as far as what regulators could do, and they could 
definitely put things in place. You can only reverse split so many times. You can only do the reverse merger so many times before you know before you got to take it. But there's, there's, there's things they can do. I mean, the SEC has the ability to register a company stock. And Mars, yeah, just going just going back to some of the earlier work you did, you know, in 2008 to 2009, 2010, with going in and looking at identifying a bunch of these uh, Chinese listed or Chinese based U.S. listed frauds. You know, you, you know, you guys were exposing them and putting out reports on them one after the other after the other, and it doesn't seem to have made any impact. And these were bona fide frauds, right? Like the building, oh, like 14 of them, right? <laughs> Right, exactly, right. It wasn't like they weren't on the line or anything. And it just doesn't appear as though the exchanges have done anything to rectify that going it's forward. It's gotten worse. It's gotten worse. It's, I mean, if, right. you look at even, if, you, even, if you look at some of these stocks that have some short pieces on that are really are, are pretty compelling, I'm not going to list any symbols here right now, you know, there would have, between 2010 and 14, they would have been halted the list of their by, by now. Um, right. And now they're just, you know, the, the regulators just letting these things trade. Let the market take care of it, which isn't horrible to some degree, but at some point they have a responsibility to protect investors. And they're in a, the regulars are they're in a tough spot because you know when you have these short pieces come out, or you you have to worry they have to worry about look, you know, we don't want to get sued by these companies if we, if, if if the short piece is wrong, you know, and they just understand that they have to go and prove all the stuff. When, so if we're writing a short piece, we know it's a fraud. That's all we're really working on. To have like to to, to Take your face value. The regulars have to believe us. You know, it's it probably a little, you know, overstretched too, far stretched too. Though, so we have to, you know, they're probably understaffed. There is a lot of, you know, you know, probably legal mumbo jumbo they got to go through and worried worried about before they go that route. And you know, I'm, I'm hoping that eventually they, they the, the swindle goes back to what what it was between 2010 and 14. I remember at that point in time when we were having, when we were writing those short pieces, even on pump and dump U.S. pump and dump stocks. We weren't short. I was not a. I was never short of stocks until the reverse merger um, with China thing came along, and then along that process, I started doing a little more research on you know just U.S. names, domestic names, and you know started, we started writing reports on pump and dump stocks too, exposing them also. So we got a lot of exposure to it. But one thing I remember that we said you know amongst ourselves, we were, hey this is that this 2010 to 14 thing is never going to happen again, you know, um, and because. There was really no punishment levied against some of these, you know, um, these China management teams in China. You know, they're happening again. We're seeing it. We're seeing it again. We're seeing just brazen fraud, and some of these IPOs are coming public right now on the China from the China side. They're not even hiding it because they don't get, don't get in trouble. And if they do get in trouble, they, you can't get the money. You can't collect the money. There has to be. There's zero repercussions for them. There's got to be some better layer, you know, of, of standard. Unfortunately, a, a different standard. I think for some of these foreign companies to come on list here, a, a different standard maybe for reverse mergers. You know, I don't know how you do it in a capitalist society, right? But how do you do that? But there has to be something. So I mean, if the SEC or the, and regulators say, okay, well, Chinese companies need a different standard to go public, well, then you might have a problem, a legal problem, right? Well, why, why, why are you singling us out? So I don't know what. The, what the solution is, but I know what it has. I know what it should be. You know, some, in some of these in some of these areas, but I don't know how you would implement it legally. How they would do it. Uh, the the insane thing, Bob, is when you learn that just because a company is listed on the New York Stock Exchange, just because they have an audit signed off by one of the big four auditors, it doesn't mean that anybody from either of those two corporations has ever, you know, 
dove deep into the books. It doesn't mean, you know, if you're listed on the New York Stock Exchange's diligence on a company, in like, for instance, one of these U.S.-listed China-based companies, is not comprehensive enough for them to catch what we were able to catch with, you know, ostensibly less resources than them and certainly probably less capital than them, but just putting it, making it our focus for a month or making it our focus for two months or however long we work on the project. You know, so it's not as if they're so, you know, hidden that, that they can't be found. I mean, we work out of a small shop out in rural Pennsylvania. You know, we're not even, we're not even on Wall Street. We're an off-Wall Street firm. So I think one regulators start regula- one regulators should hire us. <laughs> right. Regulators should hire us to do their be, 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 there should be a level that's, of that's independent That's not a bad idea or or you know be, right because we're going when you slap the listing on a company or you slap an audit on a company it gives them an air of credibility and it's just you know I've I've worked at a public company that's undergone an audit you know it was always kids that were 21, 22 recent college graduates there. If you work for Ernst & Young or you work for PwC, you know you know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, to some degree, parts of the audit are handed to the auditors from the company. And I don't think people understand that. Meanwhile, Maj can't make six transfers in and out of his savings account <laughs> in a month. You understand why this is absolute insanity? Bob, let me give you a great example of let me give you an example, Bobby. Back in the back in 2010 to 14 areas, there was this company, UE International. The stock sale was YUII. And before you ask, I was long at one point before when I thought, oh, all these Chinese stocks have value. But then we you know then I, we eventually went short it when we found out it was a fraud. But part of the fraud we found just reading the SEC filings in the in, in one of its 10Ks, in one of the risk factors or maybe the liquidity section, it talked about how the company allows money that comes into the company, either through money raises or or, ca- or however revenue generated the company, um, it, they allow the, 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 the chairman, I think it was the chairman or one of the executives, to deposit the money in his own bank account. I mean, that, that's, in, that's in the filing. You know, and I couldn't believe we, we – we'll never see that again. I couldn't believe we saw that. And that was – how is that even allowed? I mean, how is the – that's such – auditors aren't even reading these filings. I mean, I mean there's no way the auditor should have allowed that to happen. Allow that statement to always say that this can't happen. Um, this is just wrong. And basically, what you know from the from the from the filing company's point of view, like what we disclosed it already, so we're okay. They should have known the risk was there. And this is how ridiculous some of this stuff is. I mean, not not. not all you have to do is all you have to do is open a 10K. I mean, there there, there are companies out there with risk factors in their 10Ks right now that are you know just as egregious. And, you know, I have, a, <laughs> I have a thing hanging up in my office, Maj. I don't know if you've seen it, but at one point, one of these Chinese companies had to file a, an 8K, and uh, I, I had taken part of the 8K out and printed it out from my office. And I'm looking at it right now because it literally says the board of directors of the company wishes to inform the shareholders of the company that on December 4th, a truck loaded with, all, among all other things, all financial documents, of the group for the last four financial years were stolen in the Tinhuan <laughs> district of Hubei province, China, while the truck driver was taking a lunch break on his journey to transport the now-titled lost documents back to the group's head office in Beijing. Like, this is the kind of shit that gets filed in, the, in, in actual SEC filings. But, like, in Maj's case, what he's talking about, that's even more egregious because somebody had a 
they would lift this company, right? Mm-hmm. So it, one of two things happened. Either nobody caught it, which is ridiculous, or somebody read that risk factor where it was like, the chairman can put money in his own bank account, and they were like, yeah, this seems okay. <laughs> you know, so, <laughs> yeah. What is that okay, ever? So, I don't mean to pick on China there. I mean, this, this, it opened, that whole period opened, opened our eyes to, hey, there's just a lot of this going on in the U.S. too. Yeah. Right. Um, so I think more than ever right now, Bobby, especially in the microcap sector or space, you got to be more, you really got to be a better stock picker than ever. You need to dive deeper into what you're, you know, in, in, into the filings, into your research, and find ways um, to really um, use strategies where you can gain comp- more confidence in what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, number one, you know, a lot of it because it just takes a lot longer for companies, uh, smaller capitalized companies, to realize the, the value you think you found. So you're going to have to hold these stocks longer term than you probably anticipated. Um, there was, you know, when I first started investing, a lot, you know, the, 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 there was a cookie cutter approach you could use to investing, and and you know, you, you, you look at a stock, you hey, this is what I think it's worth, this is what I think it's going to be worth by this time, and it would kind of work really nicely. Mm-hmm. But now holding periods have have had to be longer now. Um, and because of that, your research has to be a lot better and tighter. Yeah. I was going to say, it just seems nowadays there's it, there's this interesting gap where, you know, on one hand, let's say a listener is hearing this interview and they're like, okay, cool, Maj, Chris, got it. Like I'll, you know, do more research and really dig into the SEC filings. But then they end up, let's say they find a company that they're like, okay, I think this might be an, a potentially investable idea. They spend, you know, let's say 10 hours doing some research on it, going through the filings. The next thing they know, they're like, oh man, I, you know, the truck fell over with all the filings in it and there was a fire and oh, damn, like I just spent all that time on this and it ends up being a frog, you know, or, and, and, and now they have to do that whole process again. It seems that there's, you know, it's not like it was in the nineties, like you just said, where there, it was maybe a little bit, I don't want to say easier cause it's not easy by any means, but it, it seemed a little bit more streamlined. And now there's this gap where it's like, okay, now there's a, you need to hold longer, but you also have to do tighter research, which means, you know, more time that you now have to put into this. And, you know, to the lay investors, some of, some people don't have that, you know, that extra time to do it. And yet at the same time, now we're going into a stock pickers market where, you know, it might not be as advantageous to be passive. You know, there's some confluence of factors that, you know, you're just like, oh man, the world is ending. I'm, I'm, I'm joking, but you know, you know what I'm saying? Bobby, I think that on, on one light, yeah, things have changed, but another factor here, we have a lot, you know, investors have a lot more information available to, them now, to, to themselves now, so you have to know how just how to use it, I guess, and if I was like, an investor getting started in the space right now and understanding what's going on, and I want to kind of gain more confidence in how I'm investing and gain these edges, and a really simple thing is one of these things right now is look at these form four insider purchases. Mm-hmm. Follow the insiders, especially right now. You know, you want to find these team management teams that are really backing the truck up right now and telling you that everything's going to be okay. And I see we've seen a, lot, a really big pickup in the insider buying going on in a lot of these wire cap companies that have been um, decimated in the last uh, several weeks here. Mm-hmm. 
That's yeah. really important. The other thing I, I tell investors, like, you know what? You know, if a beginner investor comes to me and talks to me, hey, well, how would I get started on this thing? And, um, like, just start reading these press releases and reading conference call transcripts and seeing if there's stuff in the conference call transcripts that are not in the press releases that are giving you hints of what's going on that the market doesn't hasn't picked up on yet. Well, what are some things that you look for in the in the filings and in press releases? And let's say times like these right now, where you know, as you guys said, it is you 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 think it's more of a stock picker's market. So, what what are some trends or things that you want to see in press releases, like you and SEC filings that are are signals to you that this might be a potential investable idea? You know, you already mentioned about insider buying. I mean, maybe expand upon that, and and if there's some other things too. Sure. Not. So we're writing an article right now about insider buying. It's, I have to follow up to our part two to a, a form four article we wrote a few months ago, and it talks about how we used it to find a, a company. So, you know, you, you, it's uh, investing isn't everybody wants a cookie cutter process. How do you how to get a process? But it's more about a scenario analysis. You learn about how to invest through scenario analysis. <clears throat> you know, and that's how you really learn because um, the steps for company you know this comp, oh, company A could be the could be different steps you take for company B. So, you know, learn by scenario analysis. So in the situation that happened recently, you know, we came across this company, it was a Form 4 filing, it was a huge purchase, and we found out, oh, wow, this company, it's the first time this company, the CEO company, bought stock, I think, like in 15 years, actually it's going public or something like that. And it was a huge purchase. So the stock went from like $3 to $4 over time, like over, over three or for three weeks, you had time to buy it. So things like that. You're looking for these small pockets of, you know, information that the market really hasn't caught up on and digging deeper and deeper. Um, if it was, if I was reading conference call transfers, for example, you know, it's just not complicated. It's not like, it's not this Ivy League strategy. It's just, it's really simple and almost embarrassing, but it's just, investing should be simple. So if I'm looking at a company that reported earnings today, that's down to, you know, maybe 10, 15% because they missed the quarter because of, you know, they really don't go deep. They don't maybe go deep in, do a deep dive in the press release of why why the quarter was bad or whatever. Then you go to the conference call transcript or you listen to the conference call live and they talk about, hey, it was a delayed contract, we're going to get it in the next quarter. Things like that. Just simple things like that to kind of let you know, okay, this might be an interesting entry price. Do some quick analysis to get an idea of what's going on because you got to be quick sometimes in these things, situations. Um, but this thing, you know, these are just small little things in investing that can really give you, you know, edges and alpha over time. And you're just looking, it's just that simple. You're looking for, you know, in, in that example, you're just looking for stuff that's in these conference calls, even on negative side, too, that's not in these non-press releases. And it's by reading every press release. We, we'll read almost every press release that comes out on, you know, on the market, cap sector. Mm-hmm. And and then we'll, if there's a conference call transcript, we know, we'll go try and read those, too, and see if we find anything different in them. And you see that a lot. You see this divergence a lot more in the smaller companies than you do in larger companies. Mm-hmm. And even if there is a difference in the larger, when larger companies do it, the market's going to catch up with that pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's some right now because the interest in um, small caps, lower caps are at, at like these all-time lows, in my opinion. You go on some of these conference calls, you might be the only person on this conference call, <laughs> <laughs> the only person to get this wonderful information that no one else is hearing yet. Yeah, you know, and it's it's just it's an amazing opportunity for the small investor, or I'm sorry, the retail investor, individual investor, to to really capitalize on and get an edge on. And it just amazes me how many people don't do that. And that's how somebody with not a lot of time to invest can really start using these little tools like that, and these little strategies to save time 
if you don't want to read every press release, if you don't want to read like every filing, you know, try and just do this for a small group of companies, you know, maybe once a week or whatever. Chris, anything to add? Excuse me? I was going to say, Chris, do you have anything to add to that? Well, yeah. I mean, look, what, what Maj just said is dead on accurate, right? So when he brings up an example of being the only person on a conference call, you can be similarly situated talking to a microcap company's investor relations. I mean, a lot of times when you talk to these companies, obviously, look, you don't want any non-public material information. But a lot of times, you can get in touch with these companies very easily. A lot of times, the IR representative sits at a desk that's next to the CEO that's next to the CFO. Sometimes they'll pass the phone off to the CEO where you can actually, again, we don't want any material non-public information, but we can get color on earnings results or something that has come out, or maybe if we have a question about, you know, uh, a lot of times we'll ask questions about certain revenue segments, um, and just get a little bit more in-depth on things that have already been disclosed. Um, the accessibility of these teams is, you know, for, for the investors that take the time to look for them is astonishing. And, um, you know, I know I worked at a microcap company where I literally did sit next to the CEO of the company. I mean, not in the same room, but, I mean, we were, we were right across the hall from one another. So it's, I think the opportunity is immense. It does require a little bit of elbow grease as Maj, you know, kind of just said casually in passing, yes, you know, I think we read the press release of every microcap company that comes out. Like, he's not joking. Uh, you know, like, it's literally, I mean, there's, you know, we have maybe a dozen of us here at the office, and that's what we do. We will, you know, when we get up in the morning, everybody has certain news wires that they have to look at, and we comb through the news wires, and we look for not only companies that we've covered and companies that we've owned, but companies that are microcaps. And basically... I mean, we almost read every single we, – we definitely read the title of every single press release that goes out every day. Um, and we almost read – you know, we almost read the content of every one, barring ones that we know are not uh, relevant to us. So it is a laborious process that we undertake, and I know because I live it every single day. So when Maj, you know, mentions it kind of casually in passing – want to go back and say, you know, we do spend a significant amount of time doing that. And when we're looking for these differences between the conference call and the press release, or between, you know, a lot of these companies that are on the OTC will actually send out like a shareholder letter in lieu of sending out a, a press release. Um, we try to take the shareholder letter, the 10Q or the 10K, the press release and the conference call transcript, and we'll try to you know, basically cross-reference all four of those items to see if there are points that have been made in one of them that haven't been made in the other ones. And then from there, you know, maybe we go and try and contact management for a little bit more color on it or something like that. Um, it is a relatively labor-intensive process, but, you know, really what's cool about geo-investing, what's cool about our service for retail investors and even institutional investors is, you know, they, they only get the benefit of that. They get the fruits of kind of our labor on a daily basis. Um, at, you know, the cost of whatever, one-tenth of having an in-house analyst. Um, so we're looking for those little nuggets. You know, Maj looks for these, Maj calls them information arbitrage nuggets. We're looking for these things on a daily basis. Um, and those are the kind of things that we grab onto because even within the microcap universe, there are things that may have been ignored. And that's that's saying something. So, you know, Maj is, Maj is spot on, but I did just, as somebody that has read a fair amount of press, 
my day. I wanted to just go back and make sure that point was not glazed over. <laughs> that you know, we, we do read a lot of press releases and a lot of filings here. And it's a great place to start, man. I agree with Maj 100%. I'm just so happy to know I'm not alone. I, I'm in the same boat as you guys. I read literally every single, every single, at least the headline that goes out on a daily basis in microcaps. Um, so, so you know, now, now the uh, by the by the time I publish this interview, it's actually going to be 2019. You know, and we've alluded we've alluded to some of the trends and topics. Uh, that you guys see is is coming out in 2019, you know. But I I want to get a, a full picture here. You know, what do you guys see as some trends or topics of interest that my audience should pay attention to for 2019? Um, Chris, let's go back to you. Uh, go to Maj first. Okay, right. Maj, you first. Thanks a lot. No, my, my, mine's easy. I don't have a, I don't have a big opinion on this. Let's like like I can say what I hope happens. I'm hoping that stock picking becomes sexy again. Mm-hmm. That it be, that it, that it becomes a a significant part of um, what of what the market's looking to do and what investors are looking to do this year, and I'm hoping that um, that eventually the value that we see here is is hopefully seen by many other investors out there. I, but who, I don't predict them. I can't predict anything really, Bobby. You know, that's not what I really do. But I can know that I at this point in time. The value I see there in the space is a lot better than I've seen in a long time. It's kind of mouthwatering, especially when you compare with all the insider buying going on. So, um, not making a prediction, but I can tell you, I'm, I, at some point, that's got to matter. I believe. And who's who's right right now? Is it the insiders buying, or is it the, is it is it us? You know, greater fool investors selling into the into the insiders' hands. So I'm I'm thinking that'll play out and going uh, into 2019. And I think that I'm I'm in the financial sector, uh, the banking sector, uh, will mean for the market going forward. Will they start? Will the, will banks, small banks, start loosening up the lending standards? What does that mean for the economy? And, um, and maybe that helps the economy. I'm kind of already kind of seeing. I'm, I saw a few commercials already uh, of some um, um, kind of lending companies where standards are really getting a, a little looser than I had seen in a long time. So maybe it's already starting to play out. So those are those are two things I'm looking at. Stock pickers. Will it become a stock picking market in 2019? And will banking regulation uh, that was relaxed in 2018 play out to be a benefit to the economy and to some, some companies in 2000 um, and the consumer in uh, 2019? Mm-hmm. And Chris? Yeah, you know, I kind of, I guess I have two answers. One is like an idealist, like what would I like to see, which is never going to happen. You know, I would like to see the entire giant bubble burst and, you know, the United States sink into hyperinflation and thus go back to the gold standard and end the Fed and end the federal income tax. Those are all things that are not going to happen that I would like to see happen. But no, from a realistic perspective, what I think is more likely and the one thing that I think is possible that gives me a glimmer of optimism is perhaps in the coming year, you know, Maj is saying it becoming a stock picker's market, and I think conducive to that, perhaps in the coming year, the market starts to just get a little bit more skeptical, and, you know, we tolerate a little less bullshit and a little less obvious fraud, you know, and a little less obvious chicanery and, you know, balance sheets that aren't levered, you know, at 10 times EBITDA. You know, maybe we just rope in the euphoria here a little bit, slightly. I mean, 
please. It's been 10 years of just blind buying of anything in a, you know, in just a permanent euphoria. I mean, it's it's been, uh, I think it'll go down in history as a horrifying experiment in human psychology. But with that being said, what I think is possible and what I would like to see happen is just pull that euphoria back a little bit and just push the, the skepticism meter a little bit higher. Um, you know, it can be 90-10, but I think now it's 100-0. So. <laughs> so then so then, where can my audience go and find more information about each of you and uh, geo-investing? You can just go to geoinvesting.com, and there's a meet the team section where you can meet some people who work at a team. Mm-hmm. And there's a service, um, like a solutions um, area there where you can see the kind of retail solutions we offer to retail investors, and including model portfolios, our call to actions, and deep dive research articles and reports. Yeah, there's plenty of stuff on geoinvesting.com that you don't, you know, you don't have to be a member uh, to check out. A lot of like Maj's educational content uh, is up there. So there's plenty of stuff to kind of uh, uh, pour through um, with that doesn't require any type of commitment or anything like that. So you can check out geoinvesting.com. And like Maj says, there's an about, about the team on there and that covers not only me and him, but everybody else that that works here as well. So that's a good, we good do, spot to start. And we do offer a free trial too. So, um, and which is, I think is important to understand. I look at, if I was a investor in this space and I'm looking for organic research that, that has a great team behind it, I mean, I would definitely, I know, I, I know I, I found a geo investing and I worked there, but I, I gotta say it's really a source. I, I think that investors who want to invest in smaller capitalized companies should, should check it out. All right, guys. Well, uh, I want to thank you both for joining me today and uh, providing some insight on what's going on and maybe some things to look out for in 2019. And uh, I'm excited to see you guys soon. Hopefully, we'll maybe see you in Vegas at uh, the Planet Microcap Showcase. Awesome. Thanks so much. Look forward to it, man. All right. See you guys soon. Happy New Year. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you all for tuning into the Planet Microcap podcast, and thank you, Maj and Chris, again for coming on to the program. You can access the podcast by going on to stocknewsnow.com under podcast, go to podbean.com and search Planet Microcap podcast, or on iTunes and search Planet Microcap podcast. Stay tuned for the next Planet Microcap podcast, where we'll have our next guest to discuss all things microcap. If you have any questions or comments about the podcast, please send an email to info at snnwire.com. I'd love to hear from all of you. This podcast has been brought to you by SNN Incorporated, publishers of StockNewsNow.com, the official microcap news source, and the Microcap Review Magazine. I'm your host, Robert Kraft, and thank you again for joining me on the Planet Microcap Podcast. Have a great week, everyone.